Hey guys, my name is Sagan and I'm an addict. Hey, what's up? I'm Sam and I'm an addict. And I'm DeAndre and I'm an alcoholic. And welcome back to Recovery on the Real. What's up guys? Welcome back. It is 2024. Hey. We made it through 2023. Yeah, barely. <laughs> barely. Yeah. But We're the skin here. Of our teeth. Yeah. It's been a while since we've <laughs> sat down and done this. It really has. I think the last one was in like September last year. I know. Which yeah. is crazy. But I was going through our um, year wrapped up in 2023, and not only did we have almost a thousand plays, yeah, but we were streamed in seven different countries. That's guys. amazing! Like that's truly amazing to be a part of the movement that is recovery in so many different areas. Like, how cool is that? It it really blew my mind. Like, I, yeah. I was like, I'm getting goosebumps right now, but I was just like. Maybe this shit matters. <laughs> maybe <laughs> this Maybe this Absolutely. is doing something for somebody. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well, uh, we've got DeAndre here today. He doesn't know if he wants to talk very much or not, so we're just going to drag him into the conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Pick his brain about some stuff. <laughs> exactly. And this is actually the first time that we've had somebody on the podcast that identifies as an alcoholic versus Yeah, from an a addict. different room than we're in. Exactly. Yeah. So this is going to be, um, I think, really interesting. And we just kind of want to hear some about your story. And, you know, you didn't go to treatment. No, I did not. Okay. So right. can you tell us how your your sobriety journey started? That sounds so weird to say. <laughs> <laughs> so I know there's a bunch of different ways people come into the rooms and into the program, and that can look different for a lot of people, you know? Like, yeah. I myself went to a treatment facility quite a few times. Right, I and did like, too. Yeah, like, I don't think I could have seen myself finding the rooms unless I was, you know, taken out of the world and put solely into the program. 100%. I had to be put in a safe place. Yeah. Not, like, completely out of my element. I yep. had to be taken away from my people, places, and things. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. I wasn't one of those people. And there are people that can get clean, get sober on their own. Mm -hmm. But I just wasn't one of those people. Yeah. And I, I know there's a bunch of different ways that people can do that. Like, yeah. DeAndre, how did you come into the program? Um, I ended up in a recovery home. Uh, getting out of prison, they took me straight to the recovery house. And then I was sitting down doing guidelines and what was expected of me to live in that house. And they told me if I wanted to live there, I'd do these things. And up until that point, I've never had never been to a to a meeting of those kind. And that's how I ended up there. Someone told me I had to be there. So that was your first time finding out about uh, the fellowship and that kind of a stuff? It wasn't my first time finding out about it because everyone... Regardless if you have a, a problem with drugs or alcohol, we all have heard of these things, whether it be through like TV uh, or anything like that. You, you have like an understanding that these things exist. Now, did I have an understanding of how I would get there, where they were at, what those things were? No. <laughs> We've had this conversation before. A hundred times, but I like, swear. I literally, before I came into a recovery house type setting and like the program this past time, I thought... Uh, it was all made up for movies and TV shows. Like, I thought, you know, you're in a dimly lit church with people passing around cookies and coffees. I thought it was... Smoking cigarettes, uh, yeah. your hair's all crazy. Yeah, I didn't and I thought think... it was for old white people. Exactly. I didn't think there were actual <laughs> rooms in the world where that was a thing. Like, I thought it was completely made up. I didn't think that it was for me. Like, I didn't think that it was meant for me. You know what I mean? I thought, I don't have that problem. I can't go in there. It's, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm going to feel completely out of place. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, so, how was that like? Did you, I mean, you detoxed, obviously, I'm sure, in prison. Well, yeah, because, you know, there are drugs and stuff in prison. Right. 
I was in a maximum security facility, so there were... I'm going to were... scoot away from you a little bit. So, <laughs> so there were drugs there. I mean, there's not as many drugs on, like, a medium security yard. Right. You know, like, we get some uh, methamphetamine. Can I say methamphetamine? Yeah. yeah. We got, we'd, we'd get meth through, the, like, the mail on some paper. You know what I mean? And so, like, there's, like, there's drugs, but there's not, like, a lot of drugs. So, yeah, I, before, like, two, three months before I got out, I hadn't done any drugs. Well, the thing that I'm curious about, because I was never, um, I was never into alcohol. It just never was my thing. Um, but I've heard, you know, from other people that the detox from alcohol is really dangerous. Like it can, it can basically kill you. Mm -hmm. So did the meth kind of help with the alcohol withdrawal or did it just kind of take your mind off of it or like? So <clears throat> I see we're going to get real deep here. Oh yeah. 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 So I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding of what it means to be able to identify as an alcoholic. Right. No, no, I wasn't like this huge alcoholic to where my only problem was alcohol. Just alcohol was a problem, a part of my right. problem. Okay. And so when I sat down with my sponsor, <clears throat> the very first thing he wanted to do was make sure that I could identify as an alcoholic. Now, that can look a whole lot of different ways, the way I went through the book and my lineage of uh, sponsorship is, you know, for a lot of us, the first thing, first thing we ever do is alcohol because mm -hmm. it's readily available in our yeah. houses. Our parents drink alcohol. They're not alcoholics, but they have it. So a lot of us start off like, oh, I'm going to drink this beer or I'm going to try this tequila. And so alcohol was never my biggest problem. It just was a problem. Got it. And so if I can take that and identify with that. Well, then I can identify as an alcoholic. Because, you know, all fellowships have a singleness of purpose. Right. And for my fellowship to have worked for me, I had to identify with the rest of the fellowship. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because when I, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was in California, I had a sponsor and she was a member of uh, the other fellowship. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had me identifying as an alcoholic. And I was always, like, really angry about that. Because mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even like alcohol. You couldn't have paid me to drink alcohol in my active addiction. Like, I just didn't want that. Mm -hmm. um, but she told me, like, everything you do is you do it alcoholically, right? So that's why I can't have a drink because mm -hmm. I don't, in my brain, I don't see the point of having a drink unless I'm going to get drunk, unless I'm going to get fucked up. Yep. Like, that's the whole... So that's why, like, the other night when, I think it was, like, for my birthday or something, and we went out, and I was driving to Tulsa, and then I was like, oh, I think I'll have a glass of wine tonight. And then I went... Where did that come from? Like what? And and that's the, that's the case. Like once I have one, you know, it's gonna make me want something mm. else. So I I totally get it. Yeah, we ultimately we drink for the uh, effects produced by alcohol. Correct. You know, nothing else. I mean, I wasn't drinking just to like have a little fizzy drink, a little. Could never. Could no, could no. Never. I was I was trying to go from completely sober to shit face drunk as fast as possible. Yeah. I was watching a show the other day and they were all just in a bar hanging out and having their little sips and then they went home and I was just like, I could never. <laughs> like if I wasn't getting carried out, I didn't properly go out. Like missed opportunity if I was not blackout somewhere. We talked about that too before because like we couldn't leave the house without mm -hmm. getting high. Yep. Like yeah. if I wasn't like able to walk correctly, then it was a problem. Yeah, it was always a missed opportunity for me. And like that mentality behind it, like thank God that, you know, we're past that. Yeah. You know, it might come out in other areas of real life, but awareness Never. is key. <laughs> I'm perfect. I'm just oh, kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I have a <laughs> 
So when you were in prison, did they have like programs there for you to get involved with? Because I, this is something I don't know about, so I'm really curious. Like I've seen Orange is the New Black, right? <laughs> and um, Nikki, is it Nikki? The girl yeah. with crazy hair, she's so hot. Anyway, she was going to meetings in prison. Right. So do they have things like that? Um, it just really kind of depends on which <clears throat> facility you end up at. You know, I discharged in 2020, and I know since I've gotten out, they've had a lot of reforms, a lot of new things inside the Department of Corrections. Right. Uh, you know, the job I have today, I see that. They have more going on in prisons. They have, like, tablets now. They have, like, uh, where you, on the tablet, you can have the whichever fellowship you choose on that tablet, things like that. But I know for my experience when I was there, the second time, because I've been twice, mm -hmm. and the second time I was there, I was on a medium security yard, and that facility was like the smallest medium security yard they had, and they didn't have any like Botech classes for anyone to further their education. They didn't have any meetings or anything like that. Right. Uh, so th that time, no, at that yard there wasn't. And then when I hit the maximum security, um, I think they did have some kind of classes. Now I don't think I was eligible for those classes because I had such a short amount of time left or usually because I had a, such a short amount of time left compared to the other guys there that were doing like 20 something years. Right. And then, uh, that, and I don't think I was eligible maybe because of my levels or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it really just depends on what facility you end up at that is going to determine what they have there. Cause not every facility is funded like the other ones. Like they have specific, uh, prisons that are for like, a drugs right like people with drug problems like rehabilitation and stuff like that mm -hmm. so yeah okay i had a question for you and it literally just flew out of my head oh that's what it was never mind so what was your, like your mindset coming into sober living like were you just doing it because you had to do it and then it eventually turned into a lifestyle or were you really trying to get no i'm i moved in because i didn't have anywhere to go and i just knew that i was just my life was shit. Right. I was tired of living like shit. I was tired of being homeless. It's exhausting. It's so exhausting. <laughs> you know? I was I was at a maximum security prison for over a year. So I didn't leave my cell but to go shower or go outside in a cage. Like, mm -hmm. you know, because there's, there's an outside, but you go from being in a cell to outside in a cage, a big cage. Right. And so I did that for over a year. And, you know, not every day you get to leave the cell. So most of the time I spent, you know, every day in a cell for over a year. It just gives you a lot of time to think. And so you just think, you're like, man, I don't want to come back here. Or, man, I don't want to continue to have that exhaustion of, like, okay, you get out, you do good, you fuck up. It, just, it was just exhausting. I was just tired of it. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's, that's kind of how I felt when I first came back. Like, homeless me and, like, me now, we are mm. not the same person. Like, we are not. And it was exhausting. It was doing things that you didn't want to do because you needed something yep. from somebody else. You know what I mean? Like a place to stay or, you know, a bump or whatever the fuck. And um, I'm just glad that I don't have to live that way anymore. Yep. I'm trying to remember how it's worded. It's like uh, when the fear of changing is less than the pain of staying the same yep. or something like that. Mm -hmm. it, it's that common denominator in everyone's story, whether they're in one fellowship or the other or how they came to the rooms in the first place. Uh, it's always going to be that scenario. Oh, for sure. And, and I think that's really what it comes down to because we all know that no matter how much somebody loves us, no how, matter how much they beg us to get 
seek mm-hmm. recovery, um, you know, anything like that, it doesn't matter until we're ready. And yep. that's what I tried to explain to my mom so many times. And I just, I had to be done. Mm-hmm. I had to be done. I had to be like, I don't want to live this way anymore. And when I first got to the rooms and I heard, you know, you never have to use again, even if you want to. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> like, how does that even work? But when I first came back, you know how bad I was. Like, yep. I looked, it was bad. I was in a bad place after I uh, relapsed that last time. And um, I did want to use. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to use. We would go to meetings and I'd be like, that dude's on dope and it's triggering me and I want to get high. Like, that would, and, and Sam was just like, you need to calm down. Like, <laughs> keep coming back. <laughs> and so, but I did, I, I wanted to use, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't ever want to see that look on my parents' face again. You know, walking into the, the hospital room and I'm in the ICU. I never wanted to experience that again, and I didn't want to put them through that again. So I just had to be done. Yep. You know, and it was just, it was, it was hard in the beginning, but it's like anything else with a habit. Like once you get going, it's easy. I say it's easy. Should I say it's easy? Probably not. Once you get going, then you become used to it. Yeah. I'll edit that part. I mean, it can be as easy as you make it, too. Like, I remember the whole time I was in treatment, I was like, man, fuck this. I'd rather be high. Y'all are some weirdos hugging and high-fiving. Like, I don't understand why you're so happy today. Yeah. It made absolutely no sense to me. I wanted to leave every day of treatment and go get fucked up. And then as soon as I switched to transitional living and could be on the outside again, it was like... I was institutionalized in there, and it's the second I was out in the world again, I was like, man, I never want to get high again. Yeah. And, like, I might have had those wild hairs driving down the road mm-hmm. where your brain's just like, oh, you could have a drink today, or you could smoke some weed, or something, like, super simple and quick. Right. But after that thought was gone, I don't think I've sat down and been like, man, I'm struggling to be, you know, clean and sober today. Yeah. Like, I, I really haven't had a moment where I'd rather be fucked up again. Yeah. And, like, today my life looks like, like, I got too much to do today to be bothered with getting high. 100%. Like, that just seems exhausting and ridiculous and, like, you know, I have too many paintings to end up homeless again. (laughs) Like, that's too much of a headache. I got too much possessions. And, like, I know that's not the only thing keeping me clean and sober, but, like, I could not be bothered with the inconvenience of being high. And it's such an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. It's such an inconvenience. And I think one of the things that really set me straight this last time was I got high but it wasn't what I wanted it to be mm-hmm. it wasn't everything I built up in my mind yeah because you get a little bit of clean time and you can absolutely delude yourself with oh it was so much fun it was this and this and this when uh you know that's our disease talking to us mm-hmm. and trying to get us back and that's probably why I did so much that night because I was trying to achieve that level of yeah. high that I built up in my mind yeah you know what I mean and, it, and that's that's exactly it. That's your disease talking mm-hmm. to you, trying to kill you. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> what? And then I'm just looking at you just talk. <laughs> well, join the conversation. Yeah, I was just saying you can talk too. What do you want me to say? So, did you ever struggle in your early recovery with wanting to go back out? No. <laughs> You're a liar. No, I'm being so for real. No cap. How long you got? Over three years. See, I'm like having trouble saying sober. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You said over three years? That's badass. So talk about that. Talk about how, you know, you watched other people struggling with relapsing and you couldn't relate to it. 
So I just said, because I didn't couldn't get relate. Golly, <laughs> you're a monster. <laughs> Poor Megan over here just throwing herself out there, and you're like, mm, such a beast. <laughs> that's basically what I just that's, said. That's, what she, that's literally what he said when I came back. Mm-hmm. He was like, I went through some really shitty times at the exact same time, but I didn't get high. And I'm like, but I needed to hear it's, that. The facts, yeah. I remember actually when you did come back to the rooms, uh, one of the complaints that I had told you about, it was like me, you, and then one other friend that I had. Mm-hmm. It was that week. Yep. We all three were in communication, and then all three of us had a really bad week that week. And uh, I picked up my literature like double time that week. I talked to my sponsor a little bit more. I dived deeper into my program. And then you and him had pulled away. And then a week later, he had uh, overdosed and you had ended up in a coma. And I was just so mad. I was like, y'all fucking bitches. I was like, it, and like, I, you know, I understand struggles and addiction and all that, but I was so angry at you. 100%. And I remember telling you to your face, I was yeah. like, we had the same fucking week and you went back out. Yeah. I was pissed about it. Pissed no, at you. No, it's true. Yeah. And that's the thing I want to make absolutely clear is that I made the decision to get mm-hmm. high. Once the the substances are out of your system, it's a choice at that point. You know what I mean? And people always say, and I hate this, but they always say, you know, relapse is part of recovery. No, No, it's it's not. not. No, it's not. Relapse is part of addiction. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny, but it sounds like people who relapse. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Like those. Probably edit that out. Sounds really shitty. No, it doesn't. I'm gonna leave it in. People need to know. (laughs) This is recovery on the real. Is that what this is called? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't even know that. (laughs) He's never listened to an episode. I've never. Yeah. Anyway. Back to your question. (laughs) What was my question? (laughs) Not being able to relate to people relapse. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I just don't get it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I get, I, get I understand all the things you guys said, it's so hard, you know, <laughs> sad story, sad story, but, um, I don't know, I guess things are different from fellowship to fellowship, I know that there's some fellowships that preach different things than the one I'm in, and mm-hmm. I know for myself, you know, there's that first step that you make, and, you know, we admitted we were powerless, you know, and then, like, if you really take an act of surrendering, like, I surrendered, and so, right. like... I knew for myself that I was genuine when I when I started this thing. And, you know, if I... So, when you do the first couple of steps in my fellowship, right? And my sponsor and says it, right? If you are honest with yourself and you take that first step, um, you know, and you're genuine, you're honest, and you're sincere about it. And there's another word he used I can't remember. Then, like, and you keep that the whole time. Mm-hmm. Well, then, like, a, you're never going to, like relapse it's never gonna right. really happen now there's those fleeting thoughts sam called it a hair while he's driving wild hair yeah. not a hair <laughs> you just yeah. get a hair while you're driving yeah. <laughs> something weird but you know they're they're in my in the book we use the there's thing like they, they talk about it it's mm-hmm. called a fleeting thought mm-hmm. like we have them on good days we have them on bad days they happen regardless yeah you know i mean it is it is what it is it's knowing what to do with those fleeting thoughts mm-hmm. like you know you crush them up you throw them away yeah mm-hmm. it's just i, I knew that well because i worked a program you know with my sponsor he explained and so crazy when you work a program i know and a lot of when you do everything that's suggested to you yeah and a lot of times that's what it comes down to the amount of people that i've talked about that have relapsed or been in and out of the rooms in and out of treatment facilities you know i always ask uh return clients even i'm like well did you get a sponsor no did you work any steps no did you go to meetings no did you reach out no 
Did you I, immediately get into a relationship? Yes. <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, all saying. the suggested things aren't done, you yeah. know? Uh, and I really do believe it comes down to if they want to get clean and sober or not. And a lot of the times it's no. You know, you mm-hmm. want to be in the rooms because it's convenient. You know, you want to be in the rooms because you see other people gaining their life back and doing things. So it's like, you know, people try to osmosis yeah. the program. Yeah. That at the end of the day, that's not how this works. It's like, mm-hmm. what are you willing to do to be better? Yeah. And a lot of the times the answer is nothing. And that's what happens 100%. when you have people in and out. You get people passing away and dying. It's just like, what actually are you willing to do today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that you're sitting here right now because like, I learned this in your fellowship because I went to one of those meetings and uh, it was somebody said, your recovery equals your surrender. Mm-hmm. So the more you surrender, the greater your recovery. Yeah. And that's really where I was at because that, that last relapse just spanked me hard and not in a good way, but it spanked me hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I was scared for the first time in my life. I was scared. And I just knew that I definitely have another relapse in me. Like I could relapse tomorrow, but I do not have another recovery in me because mm-hmm. I won't come back. I won't come back from that next one. Man, I am too old. My body hurts in ways I never had. I don't think I could relapse again. <laughs> no fucking way. Absolutely I, not. My back hurts if I lay down too long. <laughs> like I can't sleep for too long because I get up and my back hurts and I'm like, this is bullshit. Uh, speaking of being a fellowship of being there for each other, <laughs> let's talk about that. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, I was just saying, like, we're supposed to encourage each other to be better. Because <laughs> I'm, like, vaping into the microphone. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get Sam to go to the gym. I'm going to go. And meal prep. I'm going to go. I think I'm going to start meal prepping, too. So I'm going to meal prep by buying uh, Chipotle once a week in catering versions. It was my idea. Stop it. I'm going to do Quit it. Act like you came up with but it. But I'm going to do it. That's yeah. the best idea, though. He made homemade Chipotle. We made homemade Chipotle last night. I made it. Not good. What? It was good. Not Chipotle, though. I just don't understand why you're being hateful. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. We did the chop chops and the slices. We just didn't and... season the rice. That was the only problem. This is our lives now as adults. These are the conversations that we yep. have. <laughs> and today is buffalo chicken wraps. No, because I still have meal prep for yesterday. And it, it, I feel like we're lying saying it was a meal prep because that was not the intention going into it. <laughs> There's just leftovers. <laughs> Leftovers can be meal prep in the right container. And it is in the right container. And the right mindset. Meal prep. Well, yeah, because I actually did prep my meal for today, yesterday. There we go. But that wasn't my intent. And now I feel like a phony. (laughs) Does the intent really matter if if the action got carried through? I don't know. I feel like that's all. It's about perspective. You know, if it makes him feel better. It does. Hey, that's all it that matters. Does. Yeah, it does. And that's the thing. Like, now we can find joy in things like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited yeah. that I don't have to buy or cook anything today. Yeah, we were talking about doing some meal prepping, too. So that way we have, like, one day where we cook, and then we're set for the rest of the week. And I do want to start going to the gym again. I made plans with, like, four different people to start going to the gym this year. I know. I'm going to. You know what you could do instead of just going to the gym? You could wake up every morning and just do push-ups and like squats to oh, start yourself off that. My brother-in-law got me one of those hula hoops with the weight on it. Mm-hmm. You see on TikTok? Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, it's small things like that. Because yeah. like, I don't want to just <coughs> jump back into the gym. Because I went to the gym for over a year when I got it. You did. You did. Mm-hmm. And yeah. But I quit going because I... 
met some guy. Yep. He stole my soul in my life. There it is. Fucking you heard it here, folks. <laughs> if you want to recover, stay single. Stay single. And so I quit going to the gym because I wanted to spend time with him. Instead, he just turned out to be a phony anyway. Yeah. I hope he doesn't listen to this. No. Fuck no. him. <laughs> but I went so long that I quit going, so now I wake up most days and I do some push-ups to get myself ready. Some okay. squats, Sam. You know, just Don't so, call me out. No, no just <laughs> so when on. you do end up in the gym, you're not yeah. like broken the first day. Yeah. you got to ease yourself into it. I did think about starting to do lifting. Because I, I think see. I've got, yeah, I think I've got a good body yeah. for lifting, and I'm strong as hell because I'm like a big girl. Mm -hmm. I built like a brick shit house. I so could I, see that for you. Hundred percent. You gonna become a CrossFit girl? No. Fuck no. No, she's nope. gonna she's gonna be one of those girls. Oh my god, this is your era. That's it. <laughs> Thank nope. you. Mm -hmm. I need that. This is it. You know, we're gonna see you on TikTok like squatting <laughs> and like lifting. <laughs> that would be so badass, though, for real. But I mean. These are the things that we can talk about now. We can talk about bettering our lives in other ways, you yeah. know, instead of just having to worry about where we're going to sleep or whether we're going to be sick. Yeah. You don't, you don't understand, like, when I wake up and I'm not sick, I'm so happy. <laughs> because, like, I'm so lazy now. Yeah. We worked so hard in active addiction. Mm -hmm. And now I just feel like... I can kind of relax. Like, yeah, I, no. you know what I mean? Like, the responsibilities that I have now are nothing compared to what I had before. Yeah. So, I just, I that's the one thing I wish that I could get through to people that are still in active addiction is, like, you don't have to live like this anymore. And if not using was worse than using, none of us would stay in recovery. Yeah. Like, why would we stay if it wasn't better? Absolutely. Uh, here lately, the first thing I've been doing in the morning is schoolwork. And that's so crazy to think about today, you know? Like, I dropped out of high school, uh, saw no ambition for myself, never thought I'd go back to it. But the job I have today, you know, everyone encourages everyone to be better. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, everyone supports everyone where I am today. Like, I didn't have a laptop to do my schoolwork on. So my job came together and they all bought me a nice laptop. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, the supporting and building each other up to succeed is, you know, amazing to be a part of today. Me and two other of my coworkers are all doing the same uh, diploma together. So nice. uh, we're all, you know, cheering each other on and mm -hmm. helping each other. And that's pretty cool to be a part of. Uh, can we talk about the fact that you were stressed out about starting school and then you stretch yourself out for doing well in school. Can we not oh God, talk he, about this? Did he tell you about his identity crisis? Yes. That was oh so annoying. Oh my God. So let's hear it. Well, <laughs> we, I mean, we know. We know. But you need to tell the people. Give them what they want. So mm -hmm. I've been getting 96s and above in all my classes oh and my I went through a full-blown depression over it. He like, did. I had not identity <laughs> I had not started school yet, and so I was freaking out because I was like, you know, I'll never be anything. I'm not to anything. I'm clean, and I'm still not doing shit with my life. So I'm doing something, and then that, you know, the <laughs> disease got to me. Uh, and then I did go through it about a month or so ago, and I was like, you know, I made the program my identity, and I switched to. Uh, 
to my job, my job was my identity, and then my recovery house was my identity, and and I'm like excelling in all these areas, and now I'm excelling in school, and now school's my identity, and like I had a complete <laughs> utter breakdown, and I was like, who am I really? But are all those things like something good? Good, good to eat? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, but of course, anything good in, you know, our our hands if we build it up enough. I don't know. What, what a weird thing to have a crisis about. I know. But that's what I said. I'm like, so you're freaking out because you thought you couldn't do it, and now you're freaking out because you're doing really good at it. I realized today I don't know how to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, being is a, a struggle because I, I, you know, I, I've gotten used to catastrophes. <laughs> like, I've gotten really 100%. good at catastrophes. Well, I didn't want to remember guys' hot takes, you know? And, like, you know, at my job, uh, it's a bunch of catastrophes, one after another after another. Yeah. And I got really good dealing with that and, you know, putting out fires places. And so if I sit down long enough and there's not a fire, I'm like... What do I do with myself? I'm going to burn it. <laughs> yes. And that's self-sabotage, right? Yeah. That's like, I need something to focus on. I need some problem to try to yep. solve or I need I need chaos. Because yep. we get comfortable in chaos. Yeah, you know, learning to be okay, that's a whole journey that I have to realize is okay. 100%. When I first started, like, everybody knows that I've got mental illness and I'm medicated and everything for it. Oh, yeah. Um, not like Sam, but... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I have my own okay. struggles. <laughs> yeah. um, and when I first started, like leveling out you know and everything was quiet and calm mm -hmm. and i was like ooh, like i don't like this like ooh, like <laughs> how do people live like this yeah. you know what i mean because everything in my mind was going 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 all the time and i was up and down and up and down and now it's like i guess maybe this was the way i was supposed to be you know the whole time yeah and now i'm i'm i find refuge in that i find refuge in the peace mm-hmm and it's just really nice. You know, I'm doing um, this whole psychology thing and not to like call you out or anything, <laughs> but- But here, let me call you but out. But let me call you out. Yeah. But I'm studying all these different like personality disorders and stuff. <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> and I swear to God, every time Sam, uh, Sam sends me a message, I'm like, there it is. What is it? Borderline. Yeah, oh, is that what it is? Yeah, I have borderline personality disorder. And oh. chaos is their life. Yeah. I could see that. And I'm like, yep. 100%. Well, I have it. Yep. <laughs> well, I have it. Yep. <laughs> you and your seven last names. Yeah, yeah. I know. Wait. I know. It's just a thing I do. No, I know. <laughs> it's your borderline. Yes. <laughs> I know. I thought Garrett was his last name for this entire time. Oops, shit. You want me to take that out? It's Colin, isn't mm, it's it? It's fine. Garrett? <laughs> We're just going to name them all. Which one is it? <laughs> There's like four more in the mix. <laughs> there's Sam Dean, there's Sam Dean Collins, there's Sam Garrett, there's Sam, well there's that one, you know. That one? I don't know. I don't want to be mean. I don't yeah, don't be mean. I feel I'm like that's a lie. No, because I don't know. Edie, I don't know, is that mean? I don't know. Edie. Edie, Edie, whatever. There's a lot of them. Yeah. See, I thought it was Eyed. Uh, no. Thank you. What is it? I think it's the real last name. 80. 80. It's Edie. And then, yeah, Smith and... Western. Uh, Smith's my technical legal last name. Oh, wow. So I feel like I've been lied to this whole time. That's, that's... So Smith is your government name? Yes. Is that what's on your license? No. No. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. It's fine. Oh, actually, I just saw my aunt last night. She came into town, and she was talking about her name. 
and she said that uh, her middle name is Annette. And she was like, I went to get my passport renewed, and they were like, so your middle name's Annette. And she was like, what? And her dad had not put an E on the end of it. So her middle name was Annette. And I just died laughing because she was like, I've put my whole life thinking that. <laughs> and evidently my dad doesn't know how to spell. And I was like, well, I can't say shit, can I? Why is that? Because like, I, always, I always make fun of people's names for being spelled like crazy ways and like all this stuff. And how do you say like, your name? Sagan. 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 What do I say? Sagan. I say Sagan. Yeah, it's okay. Sagan. I've just gotten to the point now where it's mispronounced so much that if somebody says my name, I just, I reply with the correct pronunciation. <laughs> They'll be like, hey, Sagan. I'm like, Sagan. Sagan. Like, not even like, what do you want? She's like, Sagan. Say my name? Yeah. So my mom <laughs> is still like upset with me because she's like, I know you hate your name. I know it. You've always said it your entire life. And I'm like, well, it definitely didn't help when doing crime. <laughs> There's only one of you in the whole state. In like the whole country, probably spelled my way. Yeah, it's just me. Because it's usually spelled S A G A N. But anyway, we got way off track there. We did. We did. <laughs> Thank you. We're talking about my problems. I was going to bring up another one, but I decided not to. <laughs> it's because we care. Thank you. It you is know? because we care. You know. Sam's comfortable in the chaos. <sighs> <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day because like we take on so much responsibility right mm -hmm. because nobody can do it like we can oh absolutely you know I will every time set everyone up for failure by thinking I'm the most important person <laughs> in the room every time every time I'm gonna set everybody up for failure so they know I'm the one yep. that does it right I know I'm delusional <laughs> I'm, what work the fuck? I'm working on it <laughs> I am working on it <laughs> But it's true. And then, like, I, we had that conversation, and I told you, I'm like, listen, if we didn't know what we were doing, we wouldn't be put in leadership positions. Right. Like, obviously, we know what we're doing, right? For the most part. Yeah. And then we get, like, really annoyed when somebody else does it differently. Oh, absolutely. You get so angry. I do. My way's the best way. You don't try to fight me. <laughs> Are you not that way? No, I'm totally that way. Okay. I was going to say, you need to call yourself out on some of this mm -hmm. shit, because I don't know. And if you know, you need to start spilling. <laughs> I do everything the best. I don't know what you're talking about. Every time. Like, is this a discussion? Are we debating? Are we talking about how He does everything the best except for be on a podcast. Yeah, I mean, I can literally <laughs> tell you why I'm always right. <laughs> but, like, I don't feel like I need to because I'm... Because it's understood. It's understood. It's understood. <laughs> Everybody around me gets it. They're like, oh, it's, De it's just DeAndre. It's fine. Yeah, I feel like I look like and I kind of act like I've got my shit together. Mm -hmm. But it's a hot mess. I'm a hot mess. And... People have told me that, like, a girl came up and asked me to sponsor her, and she was like, uh, you, you look like, you know, you're doing really good, and, you know, all this stuff, and I had, like, fucking six months or something like that, and I was like, girl, no. <laughs> like, no, I put on a good show, but if that's not the case. But I think that, uh, the actions are starting to catch up. Yep. You know, they always say, fake it till you make it, because thoughts and, like, thoughts turn into actions. And I've really changed my mindset a mm -hmm. lot about things. And, you know, I used to get really upset when they were like, you can't talk bad about yourself. You can't, you know, you have to try to change your negative thoughts into positive thoughts. And I'm like, uh -huh, yeah, okay. But, like, now I do that. Mm -hmm. And it's changed my entire way of thinking. And it's given me more compassion for other people because, like, I'm really not good with compassion for other people. I'm like, figure it the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't give a fuck. Figure it out. But... Now I'm like, well, 
they weren't raised the way I do. I was, you know, they didn't go through the same things I did and they're not me. Mm-hmm. So I can't expect me out of somebody else. Oh, absolutely. I feel like that's a big struggle that a lot of us have in recovery is mm-hmm. we expect ourselves out of other people. We expect people to be where we are in the program or in our recovery. And when they act otherwise, you know, it can be really frustrating in the moment. Yeah, it's really frustrating because that's part of getting out of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. Yeah. I've come off as a bitch to so many people. I've come off as a bitch to myself. Like sometimes I'm like, whoa. Like, you calm down. Like, you need to take it easy. I'm talking to myself. Yeah. Like. And I feel like other people can have that same thing about us. Like, I bet someone at some point has looked at us and been like, I wish you to, you know. 100%. Been where the fuck I am right now. 100%. But DeAndre doesn't have anything to say because he relates. To what? <clears throat> what <Anything>. am I relating? <laughs> anything and everything. I don't know. I'm just thinking, I guess. I don't know. What are you thinking about? I don't know. My job. What do you do? I work. <laughs> I work for like an organization that has recovery homes all across the country. Mm. Did the does this podcast know that we're in Tulsa, Oklahoma? Yes. So, okay, so yeah. So the organization I work for, we have I oversee thirty eight recovery homes here in Tulsa and one in Sepulpa. So thirty seven in Tulsa. No, thirty six in Tulsa, one in Sepulpa with two more I'm opening up two more this year Mm -hmm. and so my whole job is placing expectations on people to do and act a certain way oh god and so in the uh the middle ground I have to find with letting them like not letting people but like I have to place expectations on people to do certain things I have to Mm -hmm. like I Mm -hmm. have to like you guys people have to you have to do these bare minimum things at least right and then I'm going to always shoot for these people to do more. Right. Because I'm not shooting for alcoholics and addicts to do more and be better than I'm not setting them up to be and accomplish anything in life. Right. So, like, my whole job is having expectations on people to meet my needs. You know what I mean? It just is what it is. Like, I, I 100% place expectations on Sam to do the 110 things I ask him to do. Right. For, yep. To help himself and to help other people be successful. And I feel like he does. Mm-hmm. Because he's always doing something. Mm-hmm. And so, in my work, I have to find the healthy medium of, like, okay, all the things that these people do are, one, service work, so Mm -hmm. I can't get mad when they can't do it. Right. Right? And then, but I also have to be able to be, not necessarily be upset, but not just be like, oh, it's service work, who cares if they don't do it, because people's lives are at stake. This organization is a self, is a member-ran organization Mm -hmm. and so if they want to be a part of it well these are the things you guys are going to have to do to keep it running like a machine you know and And they do have to understand that service service work is a commitment Mm -hmm. and they need to start learning how to honor their commitments Mm -hmm. for your word to be worth anything Mm -hmm. and so i get the expectation part of like oh you can't place expectations on people but like to a point yeah you know what i mean well i think that's the biggest thing because like as addicts and alcoholics we never really had structure mm-hmm. you know I had to learn structure because even though I came from like a really really strict background um that just made me like sneakier you know I just got away like I didn't want to say I got away with shit because my mom usually found out but um it made me better at hiding things mm-hmm. and are you okay mm-hmm. <laughs> it's burped. It's burped. I heard it <laughs> I don't think I've eaten today but it's okay. I haven't either. I just had this coffee. 
Make some caffeine. I love caffeine. So, um, being in a situation like you're in, does uh, working your own program recovery, uh, I had a thought. <laughs> and thinking. it's gone. It was a good question. It was too. a good thought. It was. You thought about me this whole time. I did. I did. So, um, does working your own program recovery make you more sympathetic to residents' issues, or do you have higher expectations of them to pull through it? Oh, that's a good question. Can you ask that one more time? Can you okay. rephrase, please? Yeah. So, working the type of job that you do and working your own program recovery, does that make you more sympathetic to residents' struggles, or do you have higher expectations of them to pull through it? Depends on who they are. <clears throat> Not necessarily who they are, but, like, where they're at mm-hmm. in, their, in their journey. Now, when Sam comes to me and he's having an identity crisis about, <laughs> about fucking nonsense bullshit, I'm like, shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm literally like, shut the fuck up. Your life is good. Come on now. Right? Yep. Now, if a newcomer was going to be like, these are the things I'm struggling with, I'm like, okay, well, we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Am I going to, like, pat you on the butt and tell you that, you know, boo-hoo, you saw a sad story? No. I'm be like, well, you're going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, here are the things you're probably going to want to do to mm-hmm. get from A to B, right. or A mm-hmm. to Z. I just, I don't coddle people. Yep. Very straightforward, to the point, because that's what people need. Yeah, 100%. You know? Yeah. I mean, you baby the addict, you bury the addict, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You, you always talk about, you can love an addict to death. Yes, mm-hmm. 100%. And my parents didn't do that with me. Like, they were starting to cut off resources pretty quick when I went out. And it's just, of course, that made me angry. But the the goal is to get an addict or an alcoholic from, like, inactive addiction to rock bottom as quickly as possible, right? So that way they are more motivated to get help. <clears throat> but I don't know. I just think... For a lot of people, you know, I spoke to a woman the other day whose daughter is an addict, and she met my aunt. My aunt gave her my number, and she called me, and she said, I just don't know what to do. Like, she's in L.A., she's, you know, she's on heroin, she's on the needle, all these things, and she was like, and I, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, first of all, I said, you need to take care of yourself. I said, you have to accept the situation for what it is. And acceptance will get you a long way. Mm-hmm. Like, once you realize that, like, okay, if it goes this way or this way, I have to accept it. You know, um, that gives you some relief, in my opinion. And she was asking me, she was, I was like, so, like, what's going on? You know, how is she? And she was like, well, she, like, breaks into my house. Oh, my God. <laughs> and she, like, physically assaults me. <laughs> That's crazy. And I was like, okay, I'm going to tell you something right now. I said, I can't relate. <laughs> <laughs> I let my daughter break in and beat my ass. <laughs> exactly. And I was what? like, girl, I was like, I said, I can't relate to that because I was never violent towards my family. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I was never like that. So I was able to help her to a certain degree, but I was like, you know, don't give her money. You know, don't do this, don't do that. My mom said the other day she saw this woman, I guess she was at the casino, and she was like homeless looking, you know, everything. My mom was like, I just wanted to give her $20. And I said, don't do that. I said, don't. I said, every time you want to do that, just think, is that the $20 that's going to kill them? Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be the person that gives them basically the gun to kill themselves. So my mom's still learning. 
you know, it's still a learning process, but normal is starting to come back. Like recovery isn't my entire personality anymore. Like I'm, I have other things going on in my life on top of that. So I just keep adding layers. So I think that's pretty much all I got there. Yeah. I mean, so I was talking to someone uh, who had been in the rooms longer than I had the other day. And they were talking about someone they knew was still out there. And um, they were just trying to help, trying to find ways to help, but still distance themselves. And uh, I was like, I get that you, you know, you care and you want to help. But, like, at some point, just stop, like, even answering their phone calls probably yeah. going to do damage. Yeah. You know? Like, I um, understand that we care about people and stuff. But, like, I know for me... If someone would have answered my phone that day I went to treatment, I wouldn't have gone to treatment, you right. know? Like, I had to be so broken and desperate that I wanted something better. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're trying to make it easier, what are we really doing? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, people have to know that they don't have another choice. Mm -hmm. Like, either you're going to stay out doing the same shit that you're doing, or you yep. can get help. You know, when I was in active addiction, people, like, when I would reach out for help to certain people, they'd be like, I'll take you to treatment. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck you, that's not the type of help that I need. I needed <laughs> yeah. a ride, or I needed money, or I needed, you know, whatever. Not the type of help you wanted. Correct. Yeah. And um, that used to piss me off. That used to really piss me off. But now it's like, I get it. Mm -hmm. I get it. You don't ever want to help somebody kill themselves. And I used to think that, like, I wasn't doing any damage by using and dealing and all that stuff. I was doing damage. Yep. I was causing harm. I actually had a school assignment the other day on addiction and alcoholism. Yeah. And uh, it was crazy how how good it was to have a personal insight on it, you know? Yeah. It yeah. was talking about uh, the ways that people can harm themselves in addiction, the way they can harm each other people. And in this assignment, you submitted your response, and then you could read other people's, and then you had to reply a response mm -hmm. to their opinion on it. And it was crazy how nobody even grasped the fact that you could really harm other people. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's crazy the insight you can have after being in this that you don't even realize. Yeah, 100%. You know, because absolutely we harm other people. Mm -hmm. You know, we harm our kids, our employers, our friends, our parents, our families. Yeah. Um, it's just not something you think about unless you've been harmed by someone with an addiction or you've done it yourself. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's just, it's... I never understood why it was such a big deal to my family because I was like, I'm not hurting anybody but me. Like, I'm hurting me. I understand that. But I don't get why, like, they're making such a big deal about yeah, it. Right. And that sounds like, now, when I say that, it sounds crazy. Like, that sounds crazy because <laughs> if, like, mm -hmm. my... I have to go answer that phone. Okay. We'll be right back. Oh, my God. So we supposed to pause? You guys... Oh, it's already on voicemail. They... Well, there was another alcoholic or addict dying out there. Oh, oh my god. Listen, I got beds to fill. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're almost done anyway. But, like, I think about if my brother was out there, I would be losing my absolute mm -hmm. shit. But I never for once thought that anybody cared about me that much. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, Absolutely. I thought that I was doing a good thing by leaving. Oh, we absolutely we are the most important and the most minuscule people in our minds mm -hmm. at the time you know like i am the center of attention but i was also nothing to myself when exactly. i was out there exactly and i mean still today sometimes you know yeah for sure and i just feel like now that i've started to kind of i say kind of now that i respect myself because i do mm -hmm. i'm able to start loving myself and a person that loves themselves does not put poison in their own body. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. If I oh, loved absolutely. myself, I never would have done that. Because I didn't think I deserved anything better than that. 
So, have I you think... had anything to say? Mm -mm. Nope, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Why are y'all looking at me? Because we want you to say something. What do you want me to say? So, how do you relate to self-acceptance and being clean? I don't really get the question. Like, self-acceptance? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, your self-worth to yourself, has that changed since you've been clean? Over. Like, I don't get it. I don't know. Okay, I don't... It's, can you rephrase it? Okay, so <laughs> when you were in your alcoholism, your worth you had to yourself, how did that look then? And how has that changed now that you're in recovery? Oh, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you're asking. I totally yeah. get it. Yeah. I... <clears throat> Oh my god, she's like mad at me. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Sagan. I'm sorry, I just didn't get it. I'm back up. No, it wasn't that you didn't get it. It was like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> I'm perfect. No, I'm That's not. Right. I love it. No, it's not. It's not like I'm... I need you to elaborate a little bit. So you, oh, so you're wanting me to get like super deep about it. That's the second time you said that, and I already agreed with you the first time. So yes, okay. please. I don't know. I feel like this is your guys's thing. You know, I don't want to like intrude on your guys's little. Are life. you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> no, I'm being so. This whole real. episode is gonna be like titled with your name on it. Oh my god, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <sighs> now with okay, so <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you were in your active addiction alcoholism. How did you really view yourself then, and how did your self-worth stand, and how did that really change as you came into recovery, and I don't know, how's your view on yourself look now? Well, Sam, I think my view on myself in, in my alcoholism, or anyone's alcoholism or drug addiction, is probably all going to be relatable to each other, because when we're all in the midst of our drug use or alcoholism, we all have very poor self-worth and our views on ourselves are very poor you know because if you know i know in my fellowship it talks about how alcoholism was my solution right, right? Mm -hmm. and what was it my solution to mm -hmm. my solution to my uh well i'm sorry it was my solution to where i was at in life it was my solution to how i felt about myself it was my solution to how i thought other people perceived me to be it was my solution so if i didn't need a solution then I would have been perfect. Right. right? Yeah. But because I wasn't perfect and I had this poor self-value, poor self-worth, felt like I was not worthy of being loved, I needed those things. You know, I didn't have any self-acceptance. Like, it's like, who was I as a person? 100%, yeah. You know, it was my identity crisis. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really was because yes. it, for me, in active addiction, I always liked what you liked. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know what I liked. I didn't even know. I didn't know who I was. Because I was so busy trying to get stuff out of other people that I was just a chameleon. I, I just was mm -hmm. whatever you wanted me to be. Oh, I like that. Good. It's a perfect example of how yeah. I felt. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty smart. <laughs> but today, I... I don't know. I don't really dwell too much on... I don't know. I don't... I don't know. Like, I wake up and I just... And I just am. And I just be. Yeah. You know, I don't dwell too much on the... I don't... I don't dwell too much on what came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't have, try to have these two big, you know, philosophical ideas running through my mind all the time. Especially, you know, just can't because if I do, then I get way too far into this, this craziness. Right. You know, we got too much to do today rather than sit down and think of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think that's kind of where acceptance comes in too. Like you have to accept the fact that you're never going to have all the answers. Correct. 
you're gonna accept you have to accept the fact that it happened it's over and I'm here and that's all that matters. I'm trying to focus on what God's will for my life is for that day. Right. And what I can do to be a good person from when I wake up till I go to bed. Now I'm going to fall short every single day no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I'm human. And so I'll never be perfect. Right. But as long as I'm trying to be better, trying to do good things, then I'll have all the acceptance in the world for myself. For sure. And I think intention has a lot to do with that too. Today mm-hmm. I don't intentionally hurt people. Mm-mm. I don't intentionally try to cause harm. Correct. And I feel like that has a lot to do with it because before it didn't matter what the intention was. If somebody hurt me, then they're a fucking piece of shit. They're an asshole. Mm-hmm. They're this, they're that. And now I'm able to take a step back and see, okay, what was their intention behind mm-hmm. whatever it was that they did? Like, did they intend for it to hurt me or did it just kind of happen? It was an accident. It was a right. mistake, whatever. And that makes it a lot easier for me. Too. I mean, as adults, you know, the world's not black and white anymore. Mm-hmm. There's no person that's going to sit out and be like, this person's all good. This person's all evil. 100%. You know, uh, everyone's just a person trying whether they're not trying that day. Maybe there's a reason behind it mm-hmm. or, you know, it's intention really. Yeah. And even after it's gone again. <laughs> I don't know. I I thoroughly believe in it. it. Doesn't really matter what other people's intents are when things happen. I get to choose what I allow and don't allow in my life. Absolutely. So like, yeah. regardless if someone's intent was to hurt me, not to hurt me, I don't agree with their actions. And so, if I don't agree with your actions, regardless of your intent, I don't. I will not let you in my bubble. I will not let you in my space, and you will not eat up any thoughts in my head. That's a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. I know at work when dealing with clients sometimes I've had to like look at a client and been like I don't consent to this interaction right now mm-hmm. like I do not like I know that you're big mad and you're choosing violence in the second I don't consent to it and so it's not going to affect me in my moment right. you know uh, th- those are very powerful words when dealing with someone with their actions and things like mm-hmm. that you know and I mean that's one thing that we've had to learn is, is boundaries mm-hmm. you know we've learned not to cause harm to other people but we've also had to learn not to allow other people to cause harm to us. No. And that's, boundaries are really difficult, you know, when you first establish them, like being able to say no, mm-hmm. being able to tell people, I see where you're at, but I'm not dealing with this. Yep. Um, because you don't deserve to be hurt. You know, like with my dad, he's he's got a lot of issues going on and, and I know that there's some mental illness there. And I've basically said, you know, cause he's impossible when he's going through mm-hmm. whatever he's going through, I'm not gonna diagnose him, but, um, what I, in my personal opinion, appears to be an episode of some sort. I love him when he's okay, and then I distance myself when he's not because I can't do anything about it. I, powerless. I'm powerless mm-hmm. over that situation. And the only thing I can do is protect myself because he obviously doesn't want any help. You know, he doesn't want to get better. So, um, yeah, boundaries are a huge thing, huge, huge thing, but they're the best thing that's ever happened to me. Absolutely. I mean, that's like the biggest part of cleaning up your own side of the street, you know, learning how to set those hard boundaries, learning how to take care of yourself finally. And I remember like early in recovery, it was really hard to set those boundaries and it was hard to accept people's boundaries. Mm -hmm. I remember one time you were talking to me how uh, you called your sponsor and you were like, hey, I'm going to come over to do ABCD. And she said, no. Yeah. And you were big fucking mad about it. I was. But this is my time. It's convenient for me. I want this now. And, you know, uh, being told no 
it's hard, you know, but it's one of those things that we have to get used to, you mm -hmm. know, someone set a boundary and it's my job to respect that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I remember that. I was yeah, like, you were so mad. I was like, can I swing by and pick up my charger? And she was just like, no. And I was like, okay. Like I was offended. Right. Yeah. But then like, I thought about it and I'm like, I understand. I get it. Yep. I get it. It was like seven o'clock at night. Like at that time, I was so new that we didn't even text or talk past seven o'clock. Mm -hmm. She was like, and she would tell me that. She was like, that's my boundary. I don't text or call after 7 p.m. That's my time. You know, mm -hmm. that's my time. Like, okay, whatever. But I mean, now it doesn't matter. We text all the time, yeah. no matter what time. But um, at the time, she had to have those boundaries with me. She had to teach me those boundaries. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it really, really helped. And it made me appreciate the time that she gave me more. Absolutely. If that makes sense. Absolutely. So, even though he didn't say a whole lot, I just want to thank DeAndre for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate it. As you guys attacked me, okay. I said thank you. I said thank I you. I said thank you. I feel like, dude, no, you didn't say shit. Okay, that was me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that was me. And then we I'm both... kidding. It was a joke. <laughs> we both said thank you and then immediately stared at him. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's your turn to say something He's else. over here with his emotional support. <laughs> just, I, yeah, well, this couch is, I'm like sinking. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad I was able to participate as well. Yeah, it's nice to have you a part of onto the side of it. Yeah, for sure. I might listen to this one. I don't know. <laughs> you might hate the sound of your voice because everybody does. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to say thank you guys for all the support. Um, this is the second season of Recovery on the Real, and hopefully we'll be back to uh, regular up regular uploads. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Remember, you never have to use again no matter what. No matter what. Bye.